Welcome to America's First Warriors, stories of today's airmen and guardians. In celebration of Native American Heritage Month, this five-episode series explores the stories of members of the Air and Space Force through candid conversations centering around their individual backgrounds and culture. By gaining a better understanding of the members of our total force, we become a more rich and ready team. I'm your host, Chief Master Sergeant Mark Legvold, Command Chief of the 133rd Airlift Wing, Minnesota Air National Guard. Welcome to America's First Warriors, stories of today's airmen and guardians. In this five-part series, we've heard some fascinating stories from Native American men and women serving in the Air and Space Force. So far, we've heard from all military members. Today is a little different. Jason Brown is one of our valued civilian employees. He works at Buckley Space Force Base. As a contract specialist, his growing responsibilities keep the base within the legal and budgetary guidelines while making sure that the Guardians and Airmen are equipped to do their job. Jason's a graduate of the University of Arizona and part of the Navajo Nation. Welcome, Jason, and thanks for joining me to share your story. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, one of the uh, interesting differences between our active duty members and the civilian side is you get to choose where you work. So why did you land in Colorado? Um, so I grew up in the mountains of Arizona. It actually snows there. And, you know, I was living in the desert for a while for college and decided that I wanted to get back in the trees in the mountains. And I felt like Denver was great because you also had that city life as well. It is a nice, nice place to live. And, and uh, I'm sure you're enjoying the outdoors a lot. Going through our pre-interview, you said that's uh, one of the things you really, really like the most about Colorado. But growing up in Arizona, you spent some time in Arizona State uh, throwing the hammer. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so um, I graduated high school from Sholo High School and decided I wanted to go to the University of Arizona and become a Wildcat. And, you know, I did a lot of sports in high school. You know, growing up in a small town, there's not a whole lot to do except for go outside pretty much. So I had offers to play football and wrestle or throw some shot put. But um, the University of Arizona is the place I wanted to go, and I did not receive any offers. So I decided to take it upon myself to go there and get a business major and walk on the track team where I ultimately transitioned from becoming a shot putter and discus thrower to only becoming a hammer thrower. So for guys like me that aren't really knowledgeable about uh, track and field, what what is that? I, I picture like Thor's hammer and you throw that thing as hard as you can. Why is it called throwing right. the hammer? Um, so hammer is is the event. Um, the best way for me to describe hammer is most people know shot put. It's just a heavy 16-pound you know, ball. But um, imagine that ball with a swivel on it connected to a three-foot wire with a handle. And you spin it around. You do about three to four spins in a circle into a sector. And lo and behold, you have the hammer throw event. It's actually one of the first events that was implemented in the Olympics back in like Roman times, I believe. Fascinating. 
I'm sure at some point that was uh, quite a weapon they could they could chuck at their enemy. Yeah, I I imagine as well that was you know it wasn't a sport at first. I'm sure. Do you still throw? Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, just on my own, I find some you know discus ring or something at a high school, and I just go out. I bought my own hammers. I still lift a lot. Get training programs from my old coaches and. I plan on competing during the spring. Fantastic. So, Jason, you mentioned that you grew up in Sholo, Arizona, and that's right between two different reservations. That's right? Yes, sir. So, um, Sholo, Arizona is located in Navajo County in the northeast corner almost of Arizona. Um, the Navajo Reservation is joined with uh, New Mexico and Arizona. It's actually the biggest and largest reservation in North America. And um, Sholo is kind of the border between the Navajo Reservation and the Apache Reservation. What was the uh, culture like there? Did you, there are two different cultures, two, two different peoples. Um, was there a clash in cultures? Were you kind of surrounded by uh, different Native American cultures that celebrated a little bit differently, or were you kind of in the place between? Um, I would say I was definitely in the place in between. Uh, Sholo is a very uh, Mormon culture, so there's not a whole lot of diversity there. Um, the Navajo and Apaches uh, don't really get along from what I'm told. And, you know, there is, there is kind of that barrier, but um, the languages are also different. So um, the Navajos and Apaches just don't get along. I never really grew up within the native culture. I just kind of had, you know, my, my grandma, most of all, who would you know, tell me about her experience because she's fluent in Navajo and her parents grew, on, grew up on the reservation and I went through all the boarding schools. So that was that was how you gained your your sense of of belonging and your sense of culture within the Navajo Nation. But you didn't start out in Sholo. In fact, you started out a long, long way from there. Can you uh, share a little bit about the story of how you became uh, or how you uh, found your way to Sholo? Yeah. So. Um... My grandma had six children, and the youngest is my mom, and she moved to Anchorage, Alaska with one of her sisters who was stationed at a Navy base at the time. She was a nurse, and lo and behold, my, my father was from Alaska, and that's where he met my mother. And ultimately, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in Alaska. I honestly don't remember anything about Alaska. But um, I moved before I was even one years old back to Arizona because that's where most of my family resides. And once you got kind of settled back in there, that's where you really got that uh, that sense of belonging from your grandma primarily, correct? Yes, sir. My, my grandma is a very strong woman. She was raised by an even stronger woman. And 
you know, I hope we can dive into that because that's, um, you know, that's, she's a huge inspiration for everything I do. And I just, I, I want to be just like her. Well, in a sense, in a sense, of course. So yeah, absolutely. I'm interested in hearing a little bit more about your grandma, six children. Uh, so it takes a strong person to raise six kids and, um, doing that in a way that has produced uh, people that have a strong sense of heritage. Tell us about some of those six kids and, and some of their uh, accomplishments as you know it. Great. So um, I am the second person in my family to go and get a degree from a college. My aunt, who is the second oldest, um, she, she went to college to become a nurse, and then she joined the military. Um, my grandma's oldest daughter took me in when I moved to Arizona when I was one years old. So, you know, my aunt is ultimately my mom. But um, I, I, I still speak with my biological mother. And, um, you know, all of the siblings, they kind of had... A rough upbringing in terms of just getting in trouble with the law or you know just making bad decisions ultimately so um, yeah I'm very thankful for my mom now and for her to you know be so wise and you know raise me to be who I'm supposed to be you um, mentioned earlier also that uh, grandma also had some kids that went off to they were part of the military and had military service. Um, one civil engineer during Korean War, but then there were also some Marines during World War II. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So uh, my my grandma, her name is Zena Taylor. Her mom had eight children, and her mom grew up on the reservation at a very young age. So, okay, let me let me flip back a second. So my great grandma had. Eight children. Her name is Lillian Taylor. Lillian was the youngest of all of her siblings, and her mother died from the Spanish flu when she was about nine years old. Um, so she kind of ultimately had to take on the role of the woman of the household. They, growing up on the reservation, they had a ranch where they had horses and sheep, and would barter basically. Um. Her dad had to work, so he was never really around at the house. So at nine years old, my great-grandma had to you know, basically raise her seven siblings and you know, send them to school, make sure they're doing right, feeding them, cooking dinner, doing their laundry, you know, weaving them blankets or clothes. So she was the woman of the house, and... She never had um, the opportunity to go to school or learn English, so she was always at home. And she had lots of children herself. She had eight children herself. And even some of her siblings grew up to uh, you know, join the armed services and become Navajo code talkers for uh, the World War II in the Marines. And... You know, I find that very fascinating, and that's kind of how I connect with my culture. 
because I didn't grow up on the reservation. I never learned the language or I, I get glimpses and pieces of the culture. But um, that's mainly just through stories that have been passed down to me through my heritage. It is a uh, it's a fascinating story, and and knowing that um, you know the Marine Corps relied so heavily on our um, on the Navajo language, and how just not even years before that that was something that was discouraged, illegal, unlawful. Uh, carrying on that heritage and that culture and now it's uh it's swung to something where everybody's individual culture is uh is valued and cherished and and wanted to be passed on and i jason i know you're a young man uh having just graduated from college recently and uh joining our our service as a civilian employee but to hear you speak about the value that you have on your culture when um, generations ago, it was so discouraged. Uh, it's it's inspiring. What are you What are you learning about your culture? What's what is important? You mentioned your grandma, you mentioned your great grandma, and you mentioned your mother. All very strong women. And one of the things that I've learned through doing this series is is how important the mother figure is in the family. Um, what are you learning about your culture that uh, eventually you will want to pass on? Um. So, first of all, what I mainly cherish out of my culture is being part of the Navajo tribe. There is an associated four clans within the tribe, and you're born into a clan. Um, your clan is your family, so someone in my clan could be my aunt or my uncle or my cousin. You know, so it's kind of like they're they're automatically my family. You know, you can imagine my family's very huge and there's many, many people that I don't know. But um, I've ran into people, you know, working for the university and like, oh, this is my cousin now. And we end up being great friends. Uh, so the clan that I am a part of is called the Kia'ani clan. Um, I would try and spell it for you, but um, the Navajo language is very, very uh, tough to just understand. It was so the easy Kia to learn how to spell it. I looked it up on Google. Nice, nice. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah, no, eventually I, I will learn the language. My uh my grandma my grandma's sister who I guess is my grandma as well, is um she does the Rosetta Stone recordings for the Navajo language. Fascinating. Yeah, so um a little bit about the Kiaani tribe. Um it stands for Tower House People. And I've always been seen as the big guy in my family and in my community. So I, I credit that to being part of the Tower House people. <laughs> do, you, do you consider yourself your own towering house then? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Keep lifting those weights, I'm sure. Oh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Always. So you've kind of gone into the, uh, the Kiani clan of the Navajo Nation, what sets them apart? Uh, and having looked a little bit, it's it's more than just ge geographical location. What what really sets them apart? Um, yeah, definitely geographical location. Um, honestly, I, I don't know a whole lot. Like, I, I, 
I would like to say I'm cultured, but I know I'm not with my own culture. And, you know, that's tough for me and something I've learned throughout my life. Um, you, right now, it seems like you could probably tell me something that I don't know about my own clan. The greatest thing about doing this and, and listening to the stories that people have, have been telling me, Jason, is I've, I've gotten the opportunity to go look, learn, and appreciate the different cultures and heritage. And even learning why we uh, celebrate Native American Heritage Month, um, it's, it's inspired me to learn and grow. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, even just hearing you talk about the passion you have for, for your, your people and your culture, um, it's, it's just this constant sense of learning and growing. Um, you uh, really have this sense, strong sense of, of family and togetherness. And uh, uh, you, you mentioned you, met, you run into somebody from your clan and suddenly they are your cousin. Is that, is that kind of traditionally the way that it works where you have many aunties and uncles and cousins or are some um, some communities a little bit more selective, as you know? Um, from what I've heard, I believe that you know many tribes follow this kind of family culture. You know, you can imagine you know, thousands or hundreds of years ago that you know these were the only people that they had contact with. So to you know, still practice that tradition today, I find that very interesting. Indeed. So growing up in Sholo, um, and, and we mentioned it, it it's kind of this place in, in between, and primarily uh, the culture in the town was influenced the most by the Mormon, uh, Mormon people. And here you are, uh, Navajo, in between two different uh, reservations, uh, but living in primarily a, a white America, how did you find your sense of self? Uh, did you feel like an outsider in, in your own town? Yeah, I I mean, I felt like an outsider overall, even you know, people on the reservation wouldn't believe that I was Native American. You know, my father is a white man, and, you know, I kind of have the the characteristics of a, a Mexican person. So it's, um, it was kind of hard for me to find a sense of belonging. And I, I was able to, you know, be my own person through sports and school and just, you know, connecting with, you know, friends. I, I never had any biases towards anyone because, you know, me, myself, I, I didn't want anyone to look at me like I was different just because I was a big, you know, super tan guy. And yet there you were, and facing, uh, facing a, a way to find your, find your, uh, your sense of, of together with the people that you, you grew up with, your peers, and you found that in sports. What was your first sport or activity that you were engaged in growing up? Um, I played a lot of baseball growing up, and... You know, I, I really enjoyed that. I did soccer, volleyball, flag football, tackle football, basketball, wrestling. I, I did everything, you know. Um, so baseball was my first sport, and baseball, you know, is in line with 
track the track season at the same time so i had to make the decision in high school of which i i wanted to pursue and you know unfortunately i really enjoyed baseball but i know that i feel like the the mormon culture was really uh prized with baseball all the parents were very involved with this and it was very clicky to where I really felt like I was an outsider at the time to where, you know, I, I, I wanted to pick an individual sport to where I didn't have to, you know, rely on, you know, connecting with the people or trying to, you know, prove myself to where, you know, that's something I had to do my whole life growing up, you know, sure. being on teams. So that inevitably you found your way to track and field and found a good a good home there. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I had a great coach in high school, you know, uh, the same coaches from football who knew me, you know, growing up my whole life, so I was very thankful to have a good coach and, you know, keep continuing until, you know, to present day, my track and field career. So, Jason, you know, coaches, as people are growing up, really do have a good influence on people, not just teaching them sport, but also teaching them how to to fit in, how to develop, and, and how to encourage others while they encourage their uh, their athletes themselves. Now, you went through college and picked up and just moved yourself to Colorado. Have you found that connection and, and a good guide or a, a good mentor there as a, a new civilian employee on a military base? Yeah, so that's another reason why I picked you know, Buckley Space Force Base. Uh, while I was still in college, I needed to do an internship, and um, I applied to Buckley in Aurora, Colorado. I worked there last summer, and I was there for about 12 weeks, and I really felt a sense of belonging. I I love all my coworkers. I think it's great that we work with, you know, active duty, military personnel. I have you know, tons of friends, and I'm meeting new people all the time because they're always rotating, and that's something that really drew me to the career field. And you know, what's what's better than being in Colorado? I I wouldn't say much. So, you know, nothing but positives. But by coming out here, yeah, and being a guy sitting in Minnesota just dreading the winter that's coming, I'm uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. But um, yeah, we we all live where we live, but. So good to hear that you have found a good place where you fit in. What is it about the climate there? You mentioned you love the people you work with. What brings that on? And how do you become a part of that where you're the contributor, not just the receiver of that that type of affection in the workplace? Right. I mean, I feel like everyone here is friends. They We do, you know, office outings almost every week. We're always hanging out outside of work, which is great. You know, I feel like many people who work, you know, in an office or just with other people, they just they want to avoid them because they don't want to think of work. And you know, we can talk about work and you know, pick on each other. You know, it's it's a great environment. You know, even while I was gone last year, when I went back to school to get my degree and finish out my last season of track I was still in contact with the people I worked with over the summer you know we we did fantasy football and that's something we 
we're doing now and we're just you know always talking about and you know talking crap to each other it's you know i i really enjoy it part of that fun place of uh of being a part of a, a good work family really really uh, gives a good sense of uh of health and fitness to to your own psyche and it motivates you to go one of the things jason that you mentioned to me is is you've become very passionate about um, mental health of native americans especially those living on reservations and you found a good sense of purpose and place where you are uh, give us a picture of what the mental health state of uh, those on, living on the reservations that may be struggling where is that coming from and what help is out there yeah um you know i really wasn't introduced or you know aware of mental health until i got to college the university of arizona was great at you know providing help and encouraging it um from my experience on the reservation it's very secluded you know there's a house every five miles and you know there's like one walmart on the whole reservation so everyone's you know very secluded um there is lots of alcoholism and drug abuse you can imagine and you know that's something that i've had to you know witness and the reason why my family arrangement is the way it is now so you know i was aware of all of these things but um it was kind of something we just didn't talk about when i grew up but um you know, it was kind of in my genes to be attracted to, you know, alcohol and stuff like this, you know, growing up. And that's something I've had to learn through trial and error. So, um, you know, I, I wish there was more awareness of mental health or resources on the reservation to ultimately help these people. Um, I do find it very sad. You know, I've had family members, you know, die from, you know, just alcohol in general. So, you know, that's very hard. And, you know, when you go out and you have other friends who that you've met in college, you know, fall victim to these same things, it's, um, it's tough, man. So, you know, it's not, it's not just a Native American problem. It's just a, a mental health and world problem, I'd say. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Jason, what, how would you define resiliency? Um, the best way I can define resiliency is through my great grandma, Lillian Taylor. You know, she, can you imagine being eight years old and having to take care of your siblings and, you know, take care of your livestock and weave rugs and stuff like this just to survive, basically. So, you know, when I feel like I'm having a hard time, I think of her and, you know, never giving up, you know, that's something that also drew me to the University of Arizona, you know, they have their, their saying of bear down, um, you know, bear down is just being resilient and not giving up. So that's something, you know, I still live by to this day. idea of just you know bear down and uh and work hard get through it and push uh you talked to me about your mom 
and your dad and both of them uh, successful business business owners. And then you go to the University of Arizona, major in um, major in business. Uh, is that where that inspiration comes from? And are are they still running a successful business? Yeah, yeah. So um, my parents didn't really grow up in very wealthy families. So when they got together, they've been together for about 35 years now. Um, they just lived very modestly and saved their money, you know, budgeted and, you know, didn't live beyond their means because they wanted a family. Growing up, you know, once they were settled and had the funds to be able to do so, I, I did grow up around the business aspect. Both my parents were, you know, store managers for the longest time. My, my mom cut hair, you know, going on. 25 years now my dad was uh the store manager of the Kmart for 25 years before he retired and now they have you know their own franchise and are are doing very well and originally I did want to do engineering but um you know I, I didn't find that as interesting as you know having my own business one day and I was exposed to it you know through my family I, I took some college credits in high school for business, so I that's kind of what drew me to, to be in business. It sounds like you've learned a lot from your folks, from your family, and, uh, and now you've gotten to take that. And it's different working in the military system, especially in contracting, where there's, um, there's a lot that goes on, but the idea of being entrepreneurial and creative in that very rigid, structured environment, it's a little hard for me to ascertain. Do you feel like you have kind of an entrepreneurial spirit that, uh, is it set free in the contracting world or is it still, is it is it just bubbling underneath the surface? Um, You know, I do have like inspirations to, you know, have my own business one day. I've, I've always, you know, if I could go back to college, I'd want to do, like, um, some exercise sciences. I think it would be great to just, you know, live at the gym, work at the gym. You know, I had uh, lots of coaches and strength and conditioning coaches who I look up to every day and uh, ask them questions all the time. Um, so the contracting career field kind of brings that out of me but um there is a huge learning curve so that's something i'm trying to narrow down with just you know I, I i wasn't in the military i didn't do rotc you know i i didn't go to law school so there's you know there's a lot of classes and cert certifications that i need to get but um so far the contracting career field has been very humbling you kind of learn through your mistakes which is which I don't I don't believe is in every career field. But um, you know, I, I, I really like it. I really enjoy it. You know, I always wanted to be in the military. My father was gonna go into the military to become a fighter jet pilot until he lost vision in his right eye and that was something I wanted to do. I was gonna go to um flight school at Embry Riddle in Prescott, Arizona. I was gonna wrestle there and go to flight school, but I, I just felt like that was, you know, very expensive and something that 
you know, it just wasn't, it, it just wasn't right for me at the time. Sounds like you found a good place to self, uh, and a good, good place where you can serve just in a, in a very valuable and important, uh, uh, area that keeps our mission going forward, especially in the new and evolving mission that, that the Space Force has, uh, has become. You are, like I mentioned, so this is, Buckley has been around for quite a while, but it has changed into a Space Force base just recently in the last couple of years. What's it like to be in a place that is so evolving in its purpose? I I think it's awesome. You know, I we had the chief of the Space Force come and do an all call with us um, last week. So that was that was really cool to hear from him and you know know that the what the mission is for us and how we're serving the world at this time um you know i i know the space force is you know pretty brand new it's kind of weird having a space force email but being an air force employee um i do imagine in the future that you know if i stay at buckley then you know there will be lots and lots of opportunity for me to learn and help accomplish the mission of the Space Force. It is indeed an, an awesome time to be a part of uh, a part of that mission, and being where you're at is is an absolute. Uh, I'm sure it's it's invigorating every single day. Uh, I asked you earlier, uh, what are you most proud of about yourself? And that's kind of a hard thing for folks to talk about, but Jason. You've done a whole lot already in your young life. What are you most proud of about yourself? Um, yeah, you know, it really, it really is a hard question when you think about it, and you know, a lot of things come up. But um, we did talk about resiliency earlier, and you know, I'm not a perfect person. I've made mistakes, and I've had to overcome, you know, many obstacles in my life. So. I would stick with, you know, being resilient and not giving up and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. It's a, it's a great skill to have and, and uh, definitely a good mindset to, to keep in mind. Jason, you're, um, you are an awesome representative of, of your culture. What is it uh, at your active duty base? I know it is a rich uh place that has a lot of uh, diversity and inclusion initiatives there, especially when it comes to not, uh, Native American peoples serving at Buckley. Uh, how are you feeling supported there at Buckley within the Native American community? I, I, I really enjoy it. Um, my, my boss, Mr. Baroness, um, he is the one who actually you know, forward me the email saying that, you know, you guys were looking for participants, you know, I've talked to him about, you know, just being of native lineage and, you know, he remembered that and, you know, people tell me happy indigenous people's day, you know, I, you know, it's really evolved from when I was growing up, you know, there was, it was a Columbus day, there's no indigenous people's day. You know, when I went to the university of Arizona, they, that's kind of when indigenous people and mental health and you know, black history month all of these things were actually coming to light and being celebrated so i 
you know, that's really when I started feeling included. And, you know, just for that to continue on outside of my college career, you know, it's, it's a great thing. So being included and uh, having that sense of, of self among the larger group, how does that contribute directly to us being successful as a military? Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. So um, when I when I look at the military, when I'm introduced to you know the people in the military, I notice there's tons of diversity, and you know, for our military operations to be worldwide, I think it's important for you know the people in the states and the people who are deployed to you know really understand that cultures are different and everyone you know, has a different outlook on life and interprets things differently. So for the military to be so diverse, I think, you know, that really trains us, you know, in the States to be ready for the outside world. Thanks for putting that so perfectly, Jason. Um, that is just a, a great way of uh, rounding this out. Jason Brown, uh, a part of the Navajo Nation, they, I'm going to try it. Um, Kianani, Kianani, did I get it right? Kianani, Kianani, thanks. I'm yeah. gonna get it right here at the end. Um, <laughs> as one of America's first warriors uh, in America's newest branch of the armed forces, thanks for joining me today on America's First Warriors. Great, thank you so much for having me, Mark, and thank you guys for listening. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. And also, again, thanks for your service to our country and the perspective you bring. On behalf of the Indigenous Nations Equality Team, uh, I want to thank you and hope you've really enjoyed the series, learning about airmen and guardians of Native American descent that we have the privilege of serving with. It's been my honor to help share these stories. For Inet, I'm Chief Master Sergeant Mark Legbold of the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing. America's First Warriors, Stories of Today's Airmen and Guardians, was sponsored by the Indigenous Nations Equality Team, an Air and Space Force Barrier Analysis Working Group. Background research and subject exploration was accomplished by Master Sergeant Francis Dupree, Buckley Space Force Base, and the 133rd Airlift Wing's podcast development team. Special thanks to Master Sergeant Lacey Roberts for her technical and cultural guidance and to Ms. Amy Lovegren of the 133rd Airlift Wing's Public Affairs Team for her production expertise. Again, I've been your host, Chief Master Sergeant Mark Legbold. <laughs>